As you know, the On Farm podcast is brought to you by the team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. And I just wanted to remind you about a new initiative that's happening here called On Record. On Record is a project to preserve voices, stories and memories for the future with your very own audio recording. So we're recording memories of rural life. We're travelling around Scotland, working with families and organisations to capture precious voices of family members or staff members or long-serving office bearers to preserve those for posterity and sometimes for historical value. So if you think this project is something that you'd like to be involved in and maybe you have a grandparent or a parent that you'd like to capture on audio while you can, please do get in touch. You can find out more at onrecordmemories.co.uk. Giles. Morning. Good morning, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Good, yes, good. good. Thanks for seeing us. Monty. Yes, Monty, aye. Today we're down near Selkirk recording an episode for the Ling Cattle Society and we're looking at some Ling Cattle. We're actually in a field here um, with Giles Henry and I'll let Giles introduce himself. I'm a tenant here at Oakwood Mill on uh, Buclua Estates. Been here 25 years. This is sort of my, my dream, as it were. You know, I'm, I'm from a non-farming background, so if somebody had told me when, when I set off, you know, one day you'll be a tenant in the Duke of Buclue, I would have told them to go and fly in the air. It's either tenants' sons or large farmers expanding that got tenancies. It wasn't a new entrant with no money. <laughs> so we've been very lucky, and, and we're in a beautiful part of the world too. We are in a beautiful part of the world, actually, yeah. So, Giles, the reason we've come to see you is I know that you're a, a man that's, um, you know, you're into benchmarking, you're into monitoring, you're into measuring, and you've chosen Ling Cattle. Yes. Um, and I, I just, we're just really interested in, in what makes someone who's driven by efficiency choose Ling Cattle. So you, they're obviously, in your eyes, they're obviously a very efficient breed. The, the reason for having lings, when I, when I first looked at having a cattle enterprise, I really wanted something that they would look after me rather than me having to look after them. And that is one of the main focus that I've had in my business for the last, you know, 20 odd years. It doesn't matter, you know, what you have in front of you in the way of acres or how productive those acres are, the ling cow will do for you. We started today's episode in a field of cows and calves with Giles Henry. And there's much more of him to come. He's just the first of a few people we're hearing from over two episodes supported by the Ling Cattle Society. We're going to be looking at the benefits of ling cattle to all sorts of farming systems. And on that note, we've also, I'm delighted to say, got the chairman of the Ling Cattle Society with us today, Neil McGowan. I'm a farmer and a, a breeder of Ling Cattle from uh, Perthshire. Hi Neil, and thank you very much for taking time to speak to us because I know you're on holiday. We've pulled you from your holiday in Tyree to, to talk to us for the podcast today. Just, I guess, for the for the listeners' sake, um, Neil Neil is a is known to me as a as a, as very much a, a sheep man. He and the family at Inshoch were our former sheep farm of the year title holders from the Agriscope competition. But um, today he's um, speaking to us in his capacity as uh, chairman of the the Ling Cattle Society. 
It's great to have you with us, Neil. Thank you. Thanks, Monty. I suppose there are there are a lot of sheep, you know, good sheep guys in the Ling breed. I think it's one of the things about the breed that's a it's a bit different from other breeds. It attracts a uh, good stockmen, not particularly people that are attracted to the show ring or that sort of thing. It's just uh, um, there are a lot of there are a lot of really good both sheep men and cattle men in in the breed. My family in particular stumbled across uh, a, a ling herd when my, f- my parents bought a farm in 1977, I think it was. There was, a, there was a ling herd already established on the farm. They had other plans for the farm, but uh, they took the farm over on, uh, on Hogmanay. And uh, by the time calving had started in March, the lings had, uh, had, had certainly made their way into, into their future plan. So I, I've been brought up with ling cows. Why? Why was that? What? What do you think attracted first your mum and dad to keep the lings on, and then and and you to to keep them on and and, and progress with them? Dad's uh, opinion early on there was that he'd never put so little into cows and got so much out of them. The reason we've stuck with them all that time is because they uh, they just do the basic things right, and without being too fancy about anything, they just get on with you know fertility longevity, ease of management, you can breed your own replacements and the product fits the fits the bill as well. The, the interesting thing about them, and I suppose the whole point of them is they were designed to be like that. They were designed from the ground up by the, 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 the Cadzo um, brothers to meet all those criteria. Tell us a little bit about, you know, the origins, the history and, and, and how, how the Ling cattle came about. Uh, sure. You know, it takes us right back to the 40s when the these three Cadzo brothers bought the island of Ling in a way to produce calves for their East Lothian finishing units. They were using shorthorn bulls over highland cows. It was before the shorthorn breed was uh, had gone down the route of the, the, the kind of smaller cattle for the Argentina market. And the highland cow that was the the hill cow of the time so it was the highland before it became a cow for being in front of a hotel it was they were real <laughs> hill cows so uh, we're taking the the, the short on and the highlander from a different era and yes. uh, and and yeah. the, the ling is uh, is you know it's a strong resource for for these genetics that are still available here i mean that was the the whole thing though these were genuine cattle you know there were genuine short horns and genuine Highlanders bred to do a job. And the Cadzos looked at the jobs those were doing and thought, you know, combine the two, stabilise, if that's the right word, into a breed, and we can breed cattle that will do exactly what we want. Not cattle that just look good in a show ring or 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 catch a judge's eye, but cattle that can be valued on on what we want out of it, the functionality. It was it's all about functionality, isn't it? Yeah, it was about producing a useful beef animal out of a cow that was going to do that from third quality land. That was their that was their sort of vision, I think. Now, I don't mean to um, call Giles Henry's ground third quality, but it is harder ground. It's hill ground. It's upland ground. It's actually the sort of ground that um, the southern uplands of Scotland are renowned for. It's what makes the area beautiful it's what makes the area attractive to tourists and visitors and, and residents alike and a big part of Giles's system 
is to utilise this sort of ground. Basically, he throws his link cattle up onto the high ground for the winter. And um, they do brilliantly up there on uh, very few inputs. And, and, and apart from daily checks, very little intervention is needed. The, the cows here, they graze all winter at 1,100 feet on a, on a block of hill ground which uh, isn't grazed from May through till November. So that basically is my silage pit. It grows all summer. You know, we don't cut it or bale it or anything. The cows just, just eat it for themselves. Tell us a bit about what you've got in terms of, you know, how many cows and what is the setup here and... You know, Oakwood Mill is, is 260 acres with uh, 75 cows to the bull. We run them, as I say, you know, the cows on the hill for winter. The spained calves, you know, once they've t- sort of tidied up, uh, you know, the good forages, you know, by the sort of end of October, they go on to uh, kale and uh, arable silage, just uh uh, we just move a wire every day on a, on a strip graze the kale and, and we just shift a ring feeder over the bales. The bales are laid out ready for winter. So, you know, hopefully I'm not having to use a tractor through the winter. Again, just trying to, to save making a mess mainly. And then when the cows come down off the hill, 1st of April, start carving. And they just carve in paddocks, split them into sort of groups of 20, 25 and they just carve in the paddocks. You know, we don't shed any bark once they've carved or not carved or whatever. You know, the whole group just carves together and they just get moved. Try to work them on, you know, the size of, you know, we're on one hectare, basically one hectare paddocks. So, you know, we can go just on, on three day shifts. So the ling then, it sounds like ling cattle are, the, you know, they fit, they fit your system. Why, how did you come to ling? You know, you came here 25 years ago, uh, were ling your first choice? What, what, tell uh, us a bit about uh, that. I brought a few lings with me actually the, the last farm I was on you know I knew I was going to have to move at some point and I thought well you know if we are going to get a move then you know I would like a few uh, cows as well so I went up to a, a sale at Dalmali and I bought a few newly spained heifers you know they were they were just such a quiet breed to handle and everything like you know uh, are you just on your own I'm just on so my own it is important that they're yeah, quiet breed yeah, aye, aye. T- t- yeah just on our own. You know, you can work with them, you can walk in amongst them. All through the summer, my buggy or my ATV is on the road. Mm-hmm. I yep. never come in amongst them with the, with the buggy or ATV unless they're getting a shift. Whatever we're doing in farming, we've got to enjoy it because it's a... Uh, we're probably not doing this job for the retirement package <laughs> or the uh, the gold watch. So no. it's got to, we've got to enjoy what we're doing. And I, I just see too many people working cattle that are... Uh, it, it's such a big job to go and do something you need to have a lot of people organized and uh, you need to maybe spend the next two or three days mending fences where whereas with the link cow things are pretty simple they're, they're, i think the temperament's a, a, a huge huge part of it i've just jumped into my office for a wee bit because i found something about link cattle that i want to share with you because it's fascinating i've stumbled on a wee booklet written by dennis j cadzo obe who was one of the Kadzu brothers of Ling. And this booklet called The Ling Breed, it was um, funded by, by Massey Ferguson um, because the Kadzu brothers won the Massey Ferguson National Award for Services to Agriculture back in 1972. And with the help of Massey Ferguson, Dennis Kadzu authored this little booklet in 1974 to explain the reasons for and the methods by which the ling breed was developed. And I'm just going to dip into it because it's absolutely fascinating. 
it's it's online sadly um i wish i had it as a as a hard copy i must try and obtain a copy but let me see only one new breed of cattle has been developed to boost beef production in the cold wet corners of the world and that is the ling developed by the Cadzo brothers on scotland's west coast just quickly skipping through we three decided to try and buy some hill land in the north or west of Scotland to breed cattle for our east coast farms to fatten. Land was comparatively cheap in those areas. In 1947, by chance, we heard that part of the west coast island of Ling was for sale. And we purchased 2,000 acres of the island. And our dream child was then born to breed the cattle of the type we want, to take our own weaned calves down to the east coast farms to fatten, and send up some winter feed from the east coast where it could be grown cheaper to feed the cows in winter. And just to say where he says here, it always sounded logical and we still do think so. That was written in 1974, referencing work happening 20 years, etc. before that. But it still rings true now, doesn't it? When the heifers came to motherhood, they performed well and produced an excellent calf. It sounds like a breeder's dream, but it was true. Schematic diagrams here of how the crossing was done. It's amazing. 1st of July 1966. A statutory instrument before Parliament to establish the Ling Breed and Ling Cattle Society. Two rules of basic thinking were put into the statute immediately. 1. No competitive showing, but demonstrations, yes. 2. No bull to be sold at a society sale until he is 20 months old. The reason for the first rule, we consider that prize winning can be 50% of the ability of the cattleman and only 50% breeding. Therefore, it's not benefiting the breed. It's more than not a measure of good management and stockmanship. The second rule, it means the customers have a much better chance of seeing a bull is going to develop by the time he's 20 months old. After all, our aim is to sell bulls to the commercial beef producer for breeding. The ling is to be a commercial breed bred for a truly commercial outlet. There's to be no showing or show fads. Only commercial usefulness is its measure. Yeah, conclusion, some so thoughts for the future. Again, this is written in 1973 here. We have beef shortages the world over. Other countries are willing to outbid us for supplies. Listen to this, because this just rings right true now in 2021. We have still a vast potential in the small country of Scotland, in the hills and the uplands. Our breed, the Ling, will supply an economic cow for these areas, and our steer is capable of finishing off grass. It will command a place in economical beef production as cereal and feed prices rise. There you are, 1973, almost 50 years ago. Fascinating little book. I actually found it via the Canadian Ling Cattle Society website, but I'm sure you can find it elsewhere. Anyway, on with the episode. The Cancer Brothers were were ahead of their time, and and what strikes me, they were doing what people, you know, a lot of farmers now were trying to do, which is establish what is effectively a closed flock or herd that can, you know, that breeds its own replacements, that that looks at the maternal animal is is low cost to keep, but you get the output in terms of you know kilograms per hectare forage converted into meat and and they were really looking at all these things you know as you say way back from the 1940s 1960s onwards ah yeah you know what a, a debt of gratitude we owe to the people these these cattlemen with the, with the vision to develop and and make a breed 
but also this stubborn cattleman that kept it going because the, the Ling breed's certainly been through a, a time when uh, people have just considered them as uh, just a hairy cow that doesn't really fit the modern industry. I took off uh, round the world on a Nuffield scholarship a few years ago looking for different uh, ideas of, of beef cattle and sheep too. And, uh, you know, I think coming back from that, looking at what we have in the in the Ling breed here is, is really quite special. Most of the herds are run by very commercial guys that are just keep them as, as commercial cows. You know, I always think your favourite Ling cows or the best Ling cow in the herd would be an old cow that's never been helped calving. She's got a nice udder. She's produced a, a kind of above average calf every year and she, she, she looks like she's going to go on forever. You know, if somebody asked me if what your favourite Ling cow is, that's the cow I would take them to. Whereas if you go to someone from another breed, maybe, and ask them for who was the favourite cow, it was maybe, maybe it was the, the cow that won the the one the show three years ago and hasn't calved since, but by gum, look at the size of her. She's enormous, you know. And there, I think that's maybe a wee bit of a difference. And again, it's something we've got to thank the cadres for. I, I like that. And, and, you know, there's no, we're not decrying other breeds here. And, you know, there's, there's, there's nothing finer than, than some of these animals that we, they see, we see at shows and, and celebrating what, you know, what, what breed characteristics they've got and the look of them, etc. But when it comes to that, as you say, it's about commercial attributes and, and a beast that does the job for you. There's folk doing bull beef and, uh, you know, working on, on, on good top weights that are giving as good returns as, uh, as pure continentals. But see, that's key because you're talking about the similar returns as good returns as, as as continentals in terms of prime cattle, but the cost of production of that prime beast is going to be a lot less because of the the inherent low cost nature of of keeping the the, the ling cow. Yeah, I, you know, in terms of setting a business up, you're you're in charge of your cost of production. I, I think it's just a sensible way of. Uh, of approaching a cattle business is to to work with a breed or a system or, or, or a, a breed and a system that suit each other that are uh, where you've uh, you've got a good uh, good cost control Ling's not the only breed that does that but uh, I, th- I think we're uh, we're well placed for that I tell you what here's a question for you is it fair to say that these were designed to be the thinking farmers breed oh definitely that goes back to the whole ethos of, of the Cadzo thinking. They wanted this cow to be able to produce a calf which she could look after, look after well, but also look after herself at the same time so that she's able to go through the winter with very little maintenance. Uh, but the calf can then, on better ground, can go forward and make uh, you know, what the... Um, you know what that producer requires whether that's in a breeding female or uh, in a in a steer calf that's gonna you know enhance you know anyone's dinner plate and for anyone that doesn't know ling cattle the ling cattle society website is a, a good starting point to see what these beasts actually look like but they're they're a lovely red color in the main there's some roan ones you know they've got a good a good a good skin on them a good coat yeah yeah, have to have this this coat on them. Uh, you know, I remember somebody buying some heifers at Castle Douglas once, and then I was 
spoke to him, you know, a good while after he'd bought them. And when he was putting an injection into them, he says it was the thickest skin he's ever had Is to put right? a needle through <laughs> to inject one of the heifers. <laughs> You're on about, you know, carrying flesh. I mean, these girls have been working hard, as I say. They've been raising these calves now for the best part of four and a half months, whatever it is. A lovely top line, though. They're, yes. You know, they're not, they're not, they're certainly not, uh, no. you know, they don't look like they've had a hard shift, as no, it were. Is no, that... but, but this is what, you know, this is what I've been saying. This is what we need. You know, we, we need her to do the calf uh, as they're doing, but we need them to get them to put this flesh on to carry themselves uh, through the winter that's not to say that the calves, I mean, the calves, they're smaller calves, but they're shapey calves. Oh, they're shapey. They're yeah, shapey there's, calves. There's a bit of shape in the calves, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. they'll certainly go on and, right. they'll certainly go on and thrive. So these, they, they go on to kale now? They go on to kale uh-huh. uh, with it with some, uh, a bale of arable silage right. as well. Right. You make that here as well, do you? You make that here, yeah, right. arable silage. Our arable silage is the inroads to our young grass, yeah. Right, just, or, right. as in under-sown. Under-sown, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Tell us a little bit about, because I know that you've been involved in exercises to measure yeah. and benchmark yeah, and, right. and, 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 and with SAC and what have yeah, you. And yeah. We're part of GrassCheck GB, which is a nationwide uh, pilot on, on grass growth and grass quality. So from March till end of October, uh, we're measuring grass uh, once a week and all that information is going back to GrassCheck GB and then they're putting out a, a weekly tables you know in the press and on the you know social media and everything so you know local farmers can see what the growth is and in their particular areas uh we're also as i say doing a a plate meter you use yeah yeah yeah. rising plate meter uh walk well i walk uh all my farm once a week just because you know we we, you know i'm relying so much you know on our grazing and, and and we haven't got a lot lot of you know extra ground either you know you know we're not a big scopey yeah. farm where you know if, if you run into problems you can shift cattle you know to somewhere else you know we just you know haven't got that uh, flexibility so you know it's got to work hard it's got yeah my yeah. ground has to work hard yeah. like you know and so uh you know i need to know what every every paddock's doing like you know so so uh measure with a rising plate meter uh and then we and when we just calculate that through to see what our uh average farm cover is every week i actually use farmax to do my um grazing predictions so uh it tells me you know straight away that if you know i'm going to have a problem two weeks down the road or six weeks down the road or six months even down the road like you know it's interesting because the ling cattle are designed to be um flesh from forage and they were they were designed like that when the when the kadzo uh, brothers designed them but what you're talking about, it's all like the, the next step on. Yes. I wonder, I wonder, you know, go back 60 years ago when they were, if you like, designing this breed. I wonder what they would make of all what you're doing now and, and how it all, you know, the, the, it's almost the next step of, of, of science and monitoring, isn't it? It's, yeah, yes, it is. You know, you know, we're using a lot more data yeah. than, than they were using. But, you know, I think they still had this, they had this vision because, you know, they had this vision, you know, they had this lovely farm in East Lothian yeah. and they thought, you know, you know, we need something that will finish on this lovely ground that we have in East Lothian. You know, if we can produce a, a calf cheaply yep. on a cow that can look after herself, doesn't need, you know, a lot of feeding um, and pro- produce a good calf, which will then, you know, bring that calf to the east and let it thrive yep. and, and go forward. Yep. 
I suppose, you know, we've just taken, as you say, taken it on a, a couple of steps, you know, from there. But, but, you know, we mustn't forget, though, you know, with this breed, you know, we need hair on them because they've got to survive uh, through the winter and, and we need them to put a lot of flesh on, uh, put a, put a, manage to put a lot of flesh on, but do a calf at the same time. I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm, uh, I like this. I like what I see. You know, I, I try to some extent to, to emulate that kind of thinking with sheep. I mean, it's, it's sheep that I have, not cattle. Um, and I, but I like, I like to think along those lines, and I like to think of animals that look after me rather than me looking after them. You know, these are not pets. These are working animals. That's when, when I look at. A, a cow especially at this time of year I think has she worked hard enough has she done their job not have I looked after her well enough you know that's I think that's what it's all about and you know these are these these animals are doing are doing are doing a job for you these cattle in a future where we might not have the sort of safety net of the of the support and subsidy or if you want to call it subsidy and we've got this climate change nightmare hanging over us etc this is the answer to beef production. It, it is. You know, it is the answer to the beef production. Getting a cow to produce a good calf, which will then go forward. But that cow, in producing that calf, is still managing to flesh herself, to keep herself, th- to keep herself through the summer so that she can rely on, on what she's got in her back to take her through a good part of the winter. And because the winter is the expensive bit, you know, in Scotland, we all know the winter is the expensive bit, you know, and that's what we're needing to get away from. This straw, this mucking out, this feeding, the reliance on machinery, the reliance on diesel, everything else. You know, it has to be the breed to take us forward. There's an answer to the to the well, climate change it, it is, angle as well. It is. It, it, it's there in front of us. You know, there's areas of hill that you know about that are not being used. You know, where cattle could outwinter quite easily. Like you know, they're still producing the beef for the plate at a very reasonable cost. It almost sounds like the Cadzos 60 years ago. We're on. We're on a winner. At the end of the day, you know, trying to do anything, the simpler it is the easier it is and this breed make it easy and simple as we move forward then neil you know and and we look at um people trying to build a uh, soil fertility and and trying to make more resilient businesses that are maybe you know arable arable farms south of england or or, or anywhere for that matter you know and they're looking to to, to change systems to to beat um you know all the all the challenges that we've got ahead, and, and build soil to fertility and what have you. Link link cattle could fit into those sort of systems as well. Then you know an adaptable breed, an easily kept breed, and 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 something that you know you, you don't need to be um, you don't need to be scared of and have have an army of people to to deal with. I suppose that will open up a lot of uh, people into cattle that haven't maybe had much to do with cattle before. If if you look with a with an open mind like that, you know I th- I think the line maybe fits that she's she's got a good uh, good capacity to a good rumen capacity to eat a lot of low quality forage. We could be talking about it doesn't need to be in Scotland it doesn't need to be a hill we could be talking about someone in Suffolk with with coastal ground and and and, and you know kind of rubbish ground by the coast sand dune type yeah. things or whatever kick kick some cows out there yeah. for the winter and. 
put them in a bit of grass in the summer and, and, and there you are, there's your yeah. beef bridges. That's yeah. right. Well, I, I visited Shetland a fortnight ago uh -huh. and there was a man there that's wintering his cows on sand dunes yeah. on Shetland, you know, and that is a place where most cattle are inside yeah, yeah. for a lot longer than they are yeah. uh, in the rest of Scotland. Yeah. I mean, that, that, I suppose, you know, in a, in a bit of the world like this, that alone is important because you're not having to buy in straw, you're not having to put up sheds, you're not, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're not you're having to spread muck, yeah. you know, you're not having to have, you know, expensive feeders or anything like that. Yeah. You know, it's just easy done. Like, you know, you know, we'll, we'll have, come this winter, we'll have 75, hopefully 75 uh, in-calf cows up on the hill grazing away. There'll be 60-odd calves on kale with a bale of silage and uh, there'll be you know 25 steers being carried through the winter and uh, I can feed them you know look and feed them in an hour. It all sounds a relatively easy life. <laughs> Does it pay? Yes yeah we are making we are making a profit before the subsidy. Which is something on, on suckler cows now isn't it? Yeah, I mean are you is. I think are you involved in like benchmarking? Yes, or well, you? We, yeah. you know, well you know uh, with, with using um, Farmax, you know, with financial recording as yep. well and benchmarking, and, and there's there's five uh, of us who are Farmax users in a in a group, so uh, you know we keep an, an eye on each other's costs. So you it. know how these link cattle and your system stacks up against basically other systems, yes. other suckler cows, and yep. you know people yep. that are housing cattle, and yes. how, yep. yeah. So you know, yep. you obviously don't want to maybe I don't know you maybe don't want to talk pounds, shillings and pence on the podcast, but, you know, are, are you, you, you must be quite happy then about how oh, these stack up. Very happy on how these stack up. The hill ground that we take is a seasonal grass part layer. Yeah. For 75 cows, it's costing 50 quid a head in rent. Uh -huh. And uh, if we have to feed any, you know, cobs or blocks, you know, the maximum amount we'll feed even in a, through a bad winter is another 50 pound a head so we can take these cows through the winter for 100 pound and i can't think of yeah. many other folk that will get be getting anywhere near that unless they're running a similar system yeah yeah no absolutely the depreciation on some of these bedding and feeding machines Jeez, would be yeah. here you know, I've, I've been uh, I'm there. I'm a sheep man. I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, a cattle man, but I would know, be I've, scared I've, of some I've, of the costs. I've been yeah. there and, and, and done that, I suppose, in the past. With being a new entrant you know, into farming, you know, I, I didn't have a, a father or a grandfather or whatever to, to guide me or, you know, whatever. So you, you just kind of did what the folk in the area were doing, you know. So you, so you, you kept cattle inside because that's what everyone did. And, you know, we, we went organic in, uh, in 2001 and... You know, it just struck me then. You know, you know, we're just needing to to cheapen the cheapen the system, like you know. And for for a few years, you know, we just had the cows on the hill, and we still had cattle inside. But then, you know, it's just started. To, you know, costs were just rising all the time, and and we just decided, um, right, you know, just keep everything outside. And you've 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 got the cattle that can do it. We've got the cattle that can do it. Yep. Yeah. It has to be efficient, and it is efficient, and our bottom line shows that it is efficient. Massive thanks to Giles for having us to visit on the farm at Oakwood Mill, and also to Neil McGowan, chairman of the Link Cattle Society. I must say a massive thanks to Neil, actually, because we interrupted his family holiday on Tyree to record that interview. Yeah, thanks to Neil and all his family for tolerating us. 
I hope you enjoyed that chat and I hope it was interesting. And maybe it's given you cause to take another look at Link Cattle. Especially in the current climate that we face with climate change, um, rising input costs. Using an efficient cow that can do the job easily and with little input, well, I would imagine that would be attractive in a lot of farming systems. Next week is a second episode, again supported by the Link Cattle Society. This time, we're going to be looking a bit more at the output, the beef. We've been down to T-Bay in Cumbria to spend time at the farm and butchers at T-Bay Services. What a knowledgeable crowd they were. Honestly, it was great to meet them and, and record with them. They are serving up Ling cattle to 4 million passing customers every year. So we've got Ling carcass here. There's plenty there. There's plenty in the top side there. There's plenty in the silver side. There's a bit of length in there. It's not too big, it's only 3.59 is that body of beef, so you get some nice steaks out of there. Especially, I like selling sirloin on the bone, T-bones, things like that, you know, rib eyes. You sell a set of ribs at the right to size, it helps with the customs. Just finally, before we leave you, I need to pull the handbrake on and take a bit of a handbrake turn in terms of topic and mood. It's 11th of October when we release this episode and that means yesterday was World Mental Health Day and this week is Agricultural Mental Health Week. If you were listening to On Farm a few weeks back, you will have heard our very moving interview with Jamie Brand, whose brother Grant took his own life earlier this year. What we've seen is that just the amount of support that people have offered, how willing they've been to help us, had Grant actually known just what was around him, the metaphorical hug of all the friends and neighbours and people that we didn't really know that well, who've just turned up, you know, with a pan of soup, that help and support was always there. It's just an absolute tragedy that it takes events like this to actually get that feeling of community I'm pleased to say that to mark Agricultural Mental Health Week, our friends at the Speaking of Suicide podcast are running that interview in full. Speaking of Suicide is a series of frank, thought-provoking and tough conversations about men and mental health, hearing from people who have either suffered from mental health problems themselves or have lost someone to suicide. It's made in support of and in collaboration with the Highland-based charity Mikey's Line. We're very pleased they're running Grant Brand's story, And we're very pleased to highlight them to you as our podcast of the week this week. It's available across all the major podcast platforms. I hope you agree that it's always, always important that we take every opportunity to make sure we talk about mental health and signpost places to find support if you or anyone around you is struggling. The help and support is available. It doesn't need to come to this. There is no problem that is so big that it cannot be sorted. Take care and see you next time.